plop, plop. Hello, and welcome back to Drip. I'm your host, Aurelia, and I forgot what I always say at the beginning of episodes, but just pretend I did that. I don't know. Welcome back to Don't Read Into a Podcast, aka Drip, the podcast where I talk about movies, TV shows, and books. I'm remembering. Okay. I'm your host, Noelia, and this week we are talking only about books. As you can tell from the title, this is a book dump. Anyway, I said plop plop in the beginning because, you know, drip, water, whatever. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't translate well. I am back in a closet, but a different closet this time because there are people in my house and my sister's home and my room is literally right next to hers and I get insecure (laughs) and I feel like I would be really nervous if I was doing this and somebody was listening to me the whole time so I am in my brother's closet which is across the house okay let's get started let's get started right away because I liked how I did that last episode even though it was a long episode but maybe this one will be shorter (laughs) and easier to consume okay so Obviously, I'm talking about books. Once again, I have 25 books, which is shocking because I feel like uh, I'm a little bit more picky about book recommendations. (laughs) Because, like, sometimes when you recommend movies, I feel like that can be a hit or miss. And people are like, "Uh, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, she recommended... (laughs) She recommended Donnie Darko, but maybe she has, like, better taste in movies. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I would never recommend Donnie Darko. Um, also, that's, like, an inside joke with me and my friends. I don't actually think it's a horrible movie. I just, like, really don't like the movie. And there's usually a type of person that likes that movie. You know this. I've mentioned it on the podcast. Um, anyway. (laughs) The point is, I think with movies, I can give people a little bit of grace when they recommend a movie that I didn't like or that is just universally (laughs) renowned as kind of a bad movie. (laughs) But I feel like I give people a little bit of grace there. Because I love Twilight. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So I feel like sometimes I can give people the benefit of the doubt. And with TV shows, like I said in my last episode, there's just so many bad TV shows out there that are just, like, consistently trending that sometimes people just, like, can't tell the difference between a good TV show and a bad TV show. You know what I'm saying? Also, my brother just walked in, so I'm sure he can hear me, which... Anyway, okay, it doesn't matter. Okay, so... But with books, I feel like when you recommend books to people, they like, kind of judge you immediately. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's very obvious if a book you like, it, like, people think it's bad. So, I don't know. I get very insecure recommending books because books are kind of a bigger commitment and they definitely show your real personality, I feel like. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just going to start anyway. So, first category is... Had to read for school and then became personality traits. Um, This happens to me a lot because when a professor or teacher is lecturing you about a book and you see all the little intricacies of a book, you kind of realize, like, some of the magic you missed. At least that happens with me because I just read books and I read them and I don't really analyze them the way that professors do. So it shocks me sometimes. And for that reason, I think it's very easy for them to become personality traits. Okay, first one. This I read in high school. Uh, It's The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka. Kafka. (laughs) Anyway, me mispronouncing the first book. Okay, whatever. I didn't actually write down the... You know how last week I said it was a lot of work? Last week, two weeks ago, I said it was a lot of work for me to copy and paste (laughs) uh, some descriptions? Well, I didn't even do it this week. I just have Goodreads open so that I can read these. Because I feel like it's way easier. Because... I can make a list and then click on the book, but with movies, it's a little bit harder, and with TV shows, it's definitely way harder, so. This is the description according to Goodreads. As Gregor Samza awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect. He was lying on his hard, what? Oh, on his hard, as it were, armor-plated back, and when he lifted his head a little... He could see his dome-like brown belly divided into stiff, arced segments on top of which the bed quilt could hardly keep in position and was about to slide off completely. His numerous legs, which were pitifully thin compared to the rest of his bulk, waved 
helplessly before his eyes. Clearly, this is an excerpt from the book because it's, it was way too hard for me to read that. <laughs> so, my Kafka had to have written that. <laughs> um, yeah, you've definitely heard of this book before. It's just like a man turns into a bug. But this is what I'm saying with the lecture thing. Like, when I read it, I was like, sheesh, why did I like this so much? And then the lecture after, this was in high school, so I guess it's just class after I read it completely changed like the way I interpreted this book and yeah there's a lot of themes of uh like conformity and I don't know I a lot of people don't like this book because a lot of people don't like the way that Kafka writes and also because it's weird <laughs> but I really liked it and it is a personality trait of mine if somebody brings up this book I'm like oh here I go okay anyway next one this one's kind of an obvious one i don't know why i feel like everyone has this experience but the picture of dorian gray i read this in the same class i'm pretty sure and yeah i don't know what to tell you it's really good another one that people don't like because of the writing <laughs> and because of the the story's a little weird but after going to class and analyzing this whatever completely changed my life and is now again a personality trait and i'm sure anybody that was in this class in high school with me that has like a cool personality <laughs> agrees with me <laughs> anyway goodreads says written in his distinctly dazzling manner oscar wilde's story of a fashionable young man who sells his soul for eternal youth youth and beauty is the author's most popular work it's true <laughs> that was me not the description okay the tale of Dorian Gray's moral disintegration caused a scandal when it first appeared in 1890, but though Wilde was attached for the novel's corrupting influence, he responded that there is, in fact, a terrible moral in Dorian Gray. Just a few years later, the book and the aesthetic slash moral dilemma it presented, wow, is, it doesn't matter. I'm not even going to finish this. Basically, it's about a guy, <laughs> this description is so bad, Goodreads, okay. Basically, it's about a guy who becomes friends with this painter and this painter's like, oh, I'm going to paint you. And then as Dorian Gray, the guy, kind of goes through life and has like like the description of saying a moral disintegration, he remains beautiful, but his painting decays and dies. And then there's like a twist ending. I think the book is great. I think it's like, it's one of those stories that I'm like, if nobody would have written about this, I would have been shocked that nobody, like it's, it's a story that I feel like is so involved in the fabric of humanity that I'm like sheesh Oscar Wilde thank you for writing this but somebody was probably gonna write it even if you didn't kind of thing <laughs> me insulting Oscar Wilde that was like a backhanded compliment yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure okay moving on the sun also rises this is when I'm getting into the books I read in college which I could make a whole episode about that but I'm just gonna do three <laughs> but the sun also rises by Ernest Hemingway OMG this book, I'm not even going to look at the Goodreads description. I'm just going to talk about it. This book is so good. And in discussion, we talked about how it's kind of written like a screenplay, which, as we know, is like my favorite form of writing. So obviously I enjoyed it because of the dialogue and the, I don't know. It was written very, if you want like a quick book that's a classic and you're like, oh, I can't ever understand classics, like blah, blah, blah. This is definitely a good book to pick up. It's really easy to digest and read and everything, but also it's just like a good book in general. The story is really interesting. Basically, it follows this guy. His name is Jake, I'm pretty sure, and he has a little ensemble of friends. He's an expatriate. He's originally from the United States, living in Paris, and he has like a war wound, which renders him, what is the word I'm looking for? Unable to have sex <laughs> i know there's a word for it <laughs> but i just like i blanked on it um so he like for some reason can't have sex we don't understand why it's not really described why and it follows this ensemble group which is a part of the lost generation after world war one and it's really incredibly good they basically go to spain and see bullfights and are kind of fall in love with the entire country of Spain, actually. And it's really good. There's some tension there. There's one friend who's really funny. 
because he's so stupid, which is cool. Anyway, okay, moving on. Native Son. Native Son is probably the best book I've ever read. <laughs> I know I'm probably going to say that again multiple times, but this is another one I read for class. I read it this semester, and oh my goodness. Basically, it follows this guy, um, and it's in segregated America. I think the book was written exactly in 1940, but I can't remember. It was right in that time, so segregation was very much a huge thing in society, and... Um, this guy, his name is Bigger, he kind of feels very lost, doesn't have an identity, and, you know, obviously fear, feels very neglected by society because it's so white-centric, and he doesn't even want to get a job when he's offered it. He's like, I don't even want it. It's for a white family, but he ends up taking it, and the daughter of the guy that gave him the job um, is like this socialist, communist... Um, with like very strong opinions and this isn't a spoiler by the way this literally happens within the first like 100 pages and it's like a 400 page book um he ends up killing her and he has no idea what to do because he's like i know exactly what's gonna happen if people find out that i killed a white woman uh it was an accident but you know he's like i'm literally gonna go on death row and it just follows him trying to like evade the law because he accidentally killed this girl and it ended up being pretty horrific the way he, like, hit her body. And, yeah, it's insane. The book is insane, and I think it's the longest book we've read for the class that I'm reading it for. And I, it's the book that I read the fa the fastest, because I think the plot is just... It, it's one of those books that... I know I hate when people say this, but, like, you literally can't put it down because there's no, like, natural resting place in the book. There's always some sort of suspense that literally you're gonna be like how like i have to keep reading this it's it's really unbelievable that it was even written in the 1940s richard wright is a very talented writer and we kind of talked about how his writing style is naturalistic as opposed to like um i don't know i guess expressionistic or anything like that so he's very much um or like modernistic i think that's like the main distinction we make in this class between because in the 1940s people were writing modern modernistic novels so richard wright's step to write this naturalistic sort of almost scientific approach to storytelling was very refreshing for the time um even though it had happened you know like there was a whole movement of novels that were naturalistic but i think that technique is really helpful because richard wright even said like i'm not writing this book for black people and I'm not writing this book for white conservatives. I'm writing this book for white liberals who don't actually like understand the their role in society and the ways that they're also extremely oppressive to the black community and like it it's just is really powerful and like very contemporary in its messaging and even in our class we were saying how it was just so different for somebody to be writing this like naturalistic story about segregation and then the main character is a murderer you know and eventually we find out he's also a rapist so like just he complicates the narrative so much because he makes the main character so unlikable but because he like makes mistakes and everything but then the whole point of the story is like it doesn't matter how unlikable somebody is there's still a problem that's and it has nothing to do with inequality it has more to do with oppression than that and oh my gosh there's there's this part in the book that talks about it that's really powerful anyway i am rambling moving on i don't think i have much to say about this one i just thought it was a fun read um in college but this one is daisy miller and let's see <laughs> what can i even say about daisy miller daisy miller was written by henry james which is like a naturalistic writer um who i'm sure like the writing style influenced Richard Wright in some capacity and yeah it's it's not modernistic like Hemingway is there's definitely a sense of like a scientific less psychological more like objective writing style very much show not tell it's pretty good it it has this like um big backdrop of USA versus Europe because Daisy Miller's American and she's in Europe. She's like kind of traveling around. 
the main place she's at is Rome, and it just kind of very clearly shows the difference between Americans and Europeans, and, like, the American manner versus the European manner, and, like, the tension between the two, and Daisy Miller's extreme lack of awareness <laughs> is so funny to me, um, and just kind of shows a lot of, like, how Europeans, even back in the day, viewed Americans, which is really interesting. It's, re it's really cool to, to read about, even if it's, like, Americans suck. Even if that's the overarching theme of a novel, usually I'm like, yes, I agree. <laughs> anyway, don't cancel me for that. Okay. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by WCUA, the Catholic University of America's official student-run radio station. We encourage you to tune in to our live broadcasts on wcua.caster.fm. Before we return to the podcast, here's a word from our sponsors. Please visit the Cardinal Cupboard located in the Priz in room 107F. The Cardinal Cupboard is Catholic University's food pantry that provides non-perishable food to any member of the Catholic University community who is experiencing food insecurity. Our spring 2021 hours are Tuesday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., Wednesday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. For more information, please visit service.catholic.edu. Thank you. The International Business Club invites you to come to our event called What to Do with an International Business Degree. There will be fun games, info about future careers, and a grand prize. The event will take place over Zoom on Wednesday, March 24th at 7.30 p.m. The Zoom link can be found on the Nest. We hope to see you there! Are you looking for a better way to connect with members of the CUA community? Are you behind on the university happenings? Check out SIDPOD, the podcast where your community directors share what is going on in their daily lives and talk about the important things happening in residence life and the university in general. Get the staff's perspective on things and join in the conversation with your own ideas. We're so excited to be working in collaboration with WCUA. New episodes are posted every Wednesday, so be sure to check back for new episodes every week. Finally, we are looking for podcast editors. Experience is not necessary. Email us at radiowcua at gmail.com for more information. And now, back to the podcast. Next, this category. Ugh, amazing. Okay. This is a good title for a category, and I'm glad I named it this. The title is, Might Teach You More Than All of High School. So, the, and this isn't like self-help books or like even nonfiction books. I don't, there's one nonfiction. No, two, because they're memoirs. But the rest are fiction. Okay. Number one, Pachinko. This book is like a pillar between one of my really good friends that I mention on the podcast all the time, Regina, hey girl. Um, it's like a pillar between us. And it's, when people ask me what my favorite book is, usually I say Pachinko. I don't actually know. I don't know how people like decide what their favorite book is. But this is by far one of the books that has like changed my life the most and just taught me so much. Like I literally, I remember every single time I would like put the book down I was like how did I not know this you know and basically I'm gonna read the book read the good reads description <laughs> and let's see if it's good because I haven't read it yet me being unprepared okay here we go I'm collecting my saliva <laughs> okay in the early 1900s teenage Sunya the adored daughter of a crippled fisherman falls for a wealthy stranger at the seashore near her home in Korea he, promise her, he promises her the world, but when she discovers she is pregnant and that her lover is married, she refuses to be bought. Instead, she accepts an offer of marriage from a gentle, sickly minister passing through on his way to Japan. But her decision to abandon her home and to reject her son's powerful father sets off a dramatic saga that will echo through the generations. <laughs> it's like I'm a robot. I just like pause at random points. <laughs> okay. Originally told and profoundly moving, Pachinko is a story of love, sacrifice, ambition, and loyalty. From bustling street markets to the halls of Japan's first or finest universities to the pachinko parlors of the criminal underworld, Lee's complex and passionate characters, strong, stubborn women, devoted sisters and sons, fathers shaken by moral crisis, 
survive and thrive against the indifferent arc of history. So something that this description, this description is good, but it's a generational tale. It's really, really hard to like encapsulate everything that happens in this book because it's it's pretty long and it literally is told (laughs) through different generations. So the main character kind of changes. Um, Well, characters, I would say. But it still follows the same family, and Sunya is, like, there throughout the whole book. So she, I, if somebody were to say who's the main character, I would say Sunya. Um, but the, it, like, definitely shifts, like, the, at least from the psychological aspect of, like, following a character's feelings, we definitely shift main characters. But throughout the whole book, she's, like, the focal point of the story. So something that it, it didn't say is that there is this, like, really important political, I guess, or maybe more social discourse going on about Korea versus, like, the the rest of Asia, I guess. Um, but specifically Korea versus Japan. And this is also kind of a period piece. Like it said, it starts in the early 1900s, and we do get a little glimpse of, like, the Second World War and what happens between North and South Korea when that line gets like drawn for the first time. It's really significant throughout the book. And then also the main characters move from Korea to Japan. So they're kind of estranged from their homeland for more than half of the book. And like it said, Sunya has a kid and it's generational so her kid ends up having a kid and that kid ends up having a kid you know and so this like korean family the only person that has been to korea is sunya our main character um and i don't know i that like discourse is really really interesting and it's something that me and my friend regina talk about a lot because I had never learned about this in high school. I had never, ever learned about the fact that there's discrimination between Koreans and Japanese people and how... And there's this quote in the book. Oh, I wish I would have, like, picked it out before I did this episode, but there's a point, and I'm pretty sure it was Sunya that said it, that, like, all her life she had been told that, like, Japanese can tell the difference between, like, a Japanese person and a Korean person. And the one distinction that they can really see actually isn't through appearance it's through clothing it's through smell it's because japanese people were purposely putting koreans in you know neighborhoods that were filthy and that were more impoverished and like blah blah blah. and it was like this very systemic thing and soon was like i'm so sick and tired of people saying that they can tell i'm korean they can't tell i'm korean because i look korean They can tell I'm Korean because I smell a certain way, because I look a certain way, because my job is this, this, and that, because my son is working at a pachinko parlor, not because, like, there's something inherently different in our humanity, you know, which, like, is so powerful, but it's also really sad, um, but, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure the opening line of the book is, um, history has failed us, but no matter, or something like that. And I would I would get that tattooed on my body so quickly. Like, oh my gosh, I would do it so quickly. If I actually made plans to get a tattoo, that would definitely be on the list of them. Like, that is so uh, powerful. And it somehow, like, opening a book like that, it's like opening Pandora's box. Anyway. <laughs> uh, next one, Educated. Oh, I I have not been giving my ratings for the these. Okay, let's go through them. Metamorphosis by Franz Kaf- Kafka. I always like get stuck saying that name, but anyway, Metamorphosis five out of five. <laughs> the Picture of Dor- Dorian Gray five out of five. The Sun Also Rises five out of five. <laughs> Native Sun five out of five. Daisy Miller three out of five, which is very interesting. I wonder why I gave it that. Pachinko five out of five. And Educated three out of five, which is the next book I'm going to talk about. And I don't know how to explain why I gave it a 3 out of 5. I think it's because the experience was, like, really a lot for me. But I'm also not going to read the description of this one because I feel like I have, you know, a good handle on the description of the book. So, basically, this is a memoir, and it follows Tara Westover. Uh, It follows her kind of in her teenage years, and how she lived in a Mormon household, 
or I guess, uh, what is the technical term for Mormon? I don't want to be rude. Uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, something, Jesus, the Church of Jesus and the Latter-day Saints, something like that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, she lives in Idaho with her family. Her parents are really strict. Her mom is kind of cool. Like, you can tell she's a little bit cool. She came from a little bit of a more, like, liberal, not politically liberal, but, like, liberal family in that they weren't as strict about religion and they, like, kind of operated like a normal person, which is not to other Mormons. It's just to other Tara's dad. Because <laughs> he is a little bit... um neurotic I would say he basically like let me just give you the picture he doesn't believe in the public public school um like education system because of the government he also doesn't believe in the private school education system because of the government he doesn't put his kids in school he doesn't even homeschool them he like says that they're homeschooled but they're not actually homeschooled also I'm sorry my butt is falling asleep because once again I'm sitting on the floor so if you can hear me moving around I am very sorry but anyway, so this guy is, like, really very hardcore about being anti-government and, like, <laughs> yeah, and being very, very religious, I guess. And he is definitely misogynistic in the way that he raises his daughter. And then eventually that leads to her brothers being this way. One of her brother leave. one of her brothers leaves the house to go pursue education and the other one stays home and I think there's another one and she might have a little sister she does she definitely does now that I'm remembering but the point is uh the memoir kind of follows her in her journey to get educated and kind of like leave the establishment of the Mormon not even just like the Mormon church but like her family and her dad specifically it's very much a very oppressive household and very slut shamey it's it's a nightmare i would hate for this to be my lived reality but yeah i learned a lot from this book i knew nothing about the church of jesus and latter-day saints and we live in you know a time when making fun of mormons is very very normalized and I just, I literally don't know anything about that religion. Um, All I know is, like, the Book of Mormon. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't actually know a lot uh, about it. So I learned a lot from this this book about, not that it's, like, indicative of everyone that is Mormon. I don't think everyone that's Mormon refuses to go to school because of the government. Or, like, hoards weapons because of the government, you know? But it taught me a lot. And it taught me a lot about, like the education system in general and her experience I just I think the reason that I didn't give it like the best rating is because there were some points where I was like this is fake (laughs) and I felt this way and then I started looking through Goodreads comments and other people were like yeah it felt fake and I was like wow okay thank you for saying that it was just like certain moments not like her family experience obviously or the way that, that she was feeling just certain things felt very sensationalized that she was writing about but obviously I know nothing about her life so that's just a feeling I have that's not a criticism to the book though it's just why I rated it a three out of five and not higher okay next one life of pi this book is like etched into my soul because I one time like do I expose myself? I went on a mission trip, okay? I know we all hate mission trips. But I went on a mission trip one time, and I was helping a lot of students that lived in the Dominican Republic, like, a lot, like, a handful of students that lived in the Dominican Republic but were doing school in, like, my district um, in Orlando. Well, Florida, Central Florida. And I was helping them, like, with their summer reading for class, and I had read all of the books that they had to read. So it was like Brave New World, Life of Pi, I Am Malala, I think is the name of the book. I don't remember. But we also read that one. And 
obviously Life of Pi, and I think there was another one. I think it might have been Night, uh, no. Was it Night? I think it was Night by Ellie Wiesel. (laughs) I guess it's Wiesel, I don't even know. Uh, But anyway, this book is really important to me, though, because, like, the the high school students I was teaching were like my friends you know I went to school with two of them so we were just like reading this book for fun and just like kikiing about it every time we finished a chapter and it, it was just so much fun it was just me and my friends reading books <laughs> and this book it's obviously really good it's very powerful but I have a lot of like sentimentality to it and I learned so much by reading this book because I have read it before but I had to read it obviously very in-depth that summer and yeah I don't know I feel like I just learned so much from that book if you don't know what it's about I'm like I'm sure you know what it's about but basically it's like this guy stuck on a boat and there's like a tiger there's like animals on the boat with him and that's all I'm gonna say because I feel like anything else I say is gonna spoil it uh but yeah anyway I just learned a lot about it it was very philosophical and I had never read philosophy in my life at that point and that was like the closest thing I felt to like reading philosophy in the future you know like (laughs) I don't know I just I had never thought existentially before until reading this book anyway next one on writing by Stephen King okay I I don't know what it is about this book but it's like one of the best memoirs slash like writing help books I've ever read and I've had to read a lot for classes before like a lot of specific to how to improve your writing books um in a lot of classes before but this book was so good because it is a memoir and that he tells his story of like how he first got Carrie published and I cried for some reason reading this book (laughs) it's a memoir but like it's not that deep you know (laughs) but it's just so good I read it every year ish you know to just sort of like I I remember rereading it in quarantine because I was like I need this like I literally need this to reset my life and feel like I'm in the groove of things you know like I everything is normal (laughs) basically is the reason I read this and yeah I read it about every year Um, usually over the summer, but I read it, obviously, like, in March of last year. Oh my gosh, I should have read it soon, because it's been, like, a year. Anyway. (laughs) Um, yeah, and there's not really much to tell. Stephen King just shares a lot of his advice and his experience with the publishing industry and how he first started writing, like, little short stories and giving them away at school, and he got in trouble for it because they were so scary (laughs) um but yeah that is very much so one of my favorite books of all time but also just taught me a lot because like he just gives a lot of like concrete advice on writing whereas I feel like at least the majority of books I've read on writing have to do with screenwriting and like the first chapter is always like I was just talking to my friend about this Caroline hey what's up I know you're listening but the first chapters of those kind of books are always like, if you don't have natural talent, give up. Like, that's literally the energy that I get from those kinds of books. So anyway, moving on. I'm trying to pull up the description of this one because I know I'm going to have to read it. Because this book, first of all, I read it a while ago. Second of all, oh no, no, the description is so short. Okay, Ugh, here we go. Let's see. Anyway. This is one of the best books of all time. I'm sure you've heard of it, but also it's really confusing. Like, really, really confusing. I've read it in English. I've tried to read it in Spanish, but, it, girl, it was hard to read it in English. Like, I don't even... It's going to take me, like, a couple of years to be able to read it in Spanish. Like, a lot of, like, mental, I don't know, rest I'm going to need before I read it. Okay, this description is not really a real description. Dang, that sucks. Ugh. What do I... What do I even... I don't even... (laughs) I cannot explain this book without a good description. I'm not even going to try on. All I'm going to say is it's another generational tale, so you're bound to learn a lot. It's set in a fictional place in Colombia. 
it starts off with this family there's a bunch of like natural not a bunch but i would say there's definitely a big theme of like natural disasters wiping out you know like a land and like a family having to like survive it all it's definitely about like survival and you know making ends meet or whatever but it's very (laughs) what is even the word i'm looking for it's a period piece uh for sure (laughs) i wouldn't say it tells a contemporary story (laughs) well i mean it gets there it gets there eventually uh because again it's generational but i don't even know how to describe this book it (laughs) i literally i still don't know like a majority of what happened and i read it and like i read it for a a paper i think like i didn't it wasn't required for school but i i did like a i read it because i wanted to include it in a research paper of mine even though the research paper was talking about other books but and this was in high school but i wanted to include something about this book in my research paper so i read it for that so like i read it in an academic ish setting so I was very much so paying attention to details, not, like, skimming it, you know? And also, I've tried to read it in Spanish before, so I've read, like, half of it in Spanish. Like, I should know <laughs> how to explain this book well, but I don't know. You'll know when you pick it up. You'll be like, oh, I see what she's saying. But it's still, like, literally the best book of all time, probably. <laughs> it's so... I'm, like, exaggerating, but I think a lot of people regard this book as one of the best books of all time. And it's, like changed a lot of latin american literature and like literature around the world um and like magical realism is like a big part of the book so anyway i don't know what else to say about it (laughs) did i even say the name of it (laughs) it's 100 years of solitude oh my gosh did i not i don't know i don't remember i didn't give this book a rating (laughs) I, like, I'm not capable of it. But it's probably a 5 out of 5. But I didn't give it a rating on Goodreads. So, I don't know if it's authentic for me to say 5 out of 5 when I just didn't rate it on Goodreads. Okay, I don't know if I said the ratings of the other ones. Life of Pi, I gave it a 5 out of 5. On writing, I gave it a 5 out of 5. Once again, I don't really rate books very harshly. I just don't like talking about books <laughs> to other people because I don't want them to be like, you're so stupid. You know what I mean? Okay, anyway, so... This is me, like, being very vulnerable with you guys. Okay. Next category is Read It or Else. These are, like, more fun books. I mean, one of them, like, obviously is not fun. (laughs) You'll see which one I'm talking about when I get there. Okay, first one, Such a Fun Age. Once again, I'm not going to read the description for this one because I read this, like, relatively recently. I mean, relatively, like, a year or two ago. (laughs) I like how I was like, I read... A hundred years of solitude so long ago and it was like two years ago the last time i read it <laughs> okay anyway such a fun age um this follows like a nanny who like a girl wait actually i do need a description because i don't remember her name let's see if i remember in the interim no i don't amira her name is amira such a beautiful name i don't know how i forgot it okay the description says in the midst of a family crisis one late e- evening White blogger Alex Chamberlain calls her African-American babysitter, Amira, asking her to take the toddler, Briar, to the local market for distraction. There, the security guard asks Amira of, oh, accuses Amira of kidnapping Briar, and Alex's effort to right the situation turns out to be, I don't even know, <laughs> why do I sound like a robot? Okay. And Alex's efforts to right the situation turn out to be good intentions selfishly mismanaged. This book is really important for people to read. I think, one, because it's just really, really good storytelling. Two, because it shows you in, like, real-world scenarios the ways that microaggressions should not be brushed off. Like, they are very, very offensive and like harmful i'm even i want to use like a harsher word like destructive like microaggressions are not only ubiquitous in the real world even if it's like people that like care for someone they still are capable of 
like saying microaggressive things um and this just shows like in a real world scenario where like microaggressive behaviors um you know like very much so are destructive harmful and just so common so common and it's like so stupid for people to say that microaggressions like aren't a big deal or like don't exist you know um and then another thing is like it shows like the performative activism like and I know this is like a touchy subject because people just like don't know how to be activists right now especially if like we're students we like don't know what to do but this book certainly shows like (laughs) what you shouldn't do and that like performative activism like you can manage whether you're saying something out of like a selfish thing because you want people to look at you as like like the arbiter of goodness and fairness and equality you know or if you're just doing this because you genuinely think it's like really messed up (laughs) racism and microaggressive behaviors and discrimination and everything exists you know what I mean like and that's why you have to like platform people that are like the targeted minority or whatever in the situation whether it be like Asian Americans or like black Americans or African Americans or black people in general who might not even be American um people of color in general like you have to platform these people instead of platforming yourself if that makes sense I don't know anyway this is why instead of listening to me you should read this book um but it just shows like in in real life scenarios like how this is you know how this can like play out instead of like an infographic on Instagram which sometimes feels very elusive and like hard to grasp you know um but the the book itself like the the plot is really really interesting and it's really funny it's a funny book i was like giggling and i don't know what else what else should i say um it was just good i have like limited words at this point because i feel like i rambled so much but it's really good the main character is very likable very very likable her boss unlikable just super unlikable <laughs> And just annoying. Her name is Alex, but spelled A-L-I-X. Like, what? Anyway, she named her daughter Briar, so. (laughs) I'm such a hater. Anyway. (laughs) That's not the point of the book. You're not supposed to hate anyone, but anyway, anyway. Okay. Next one, a really fun one that I, like, I love this author because they're, they're really good at writing, but they're also really good at incorporating quotes and and excerpts from other pieces of literature that have to do with like just like gay canon for example I haven't even said the name of it the name of the book is red white and royal blue um sorry I got distracted because the cover is so pretty (laughs) um but basically it's really actually very interesting it follows Alex Claremont Diaz who um Hold on, I'm like kind of trying to like skim the description so I don't have to read the whole thing. Uh, Because as we know, I suck at reading. (laughs) Anyway, uh, her, his, (laughs) what is going on? Alex Claremont Diaz is the first son. Is that the logistical term? His mom is the president. And he, his sister June is like one of his BFFs. And his both of their BFFs her name is oh I forgot I forgot and she's like my fave character this is embarrassing oh gosh I wish somebody would say it in the description but whatever they're they're like Alex and June's BFF is the vice president's granddaughter and B is that her name I don't know I don't remember um, that's somebody's name. Somebody's name in the book is Beatrice, but I'm pretty sure that's another girl. Okay, anyway. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I should have done my research. Um, anyway, so he has, like, Alex, who's the protagonist, has, like, a weird, like, um, I don't know, like, rivalry with the prince across the pond. <laughs> the British, you know monarchy (laughs) me disrespecting the british monarchy i'll do it all day long i'll do it all day long anyway prince henry is the boy who is the prince (laughs) and 
basically they have a really like a rivalry thing because they're always at like similar events but they kind of have you know this like beef going on and then all of a sudden they have like a romantic thing going on and they're like kind of smooching but totally undercover you know because like if people found out about them smooching it would totally make headlines which is a much in my opinion i would much rather see that kind of headline than you know the (laughs) royal crown being racist you know what i'm saying like whatever this is like a cute and fun story as opposed to the stark reality of what the crown actually is anyway 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 um (laughs) whatever the point is it's a really cute love story and the author is so cool their name is um casey mcquiston i don't know how to say their last name but um they're coming out with a new book and i'm really excited about it so yeah anyway this is a really good book it's just so cute so sweet i cried and yeah i don't know i don't know what to say about this book other than that (laughs) just read it just read it and you'll have a lot of fun and it's like kind of long so it like feels good when you finish it anyway and there are indeed quotes from virginia wolf in her letters to vita sackville west and vice versa which I don't know if you know this, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but those are my favorite pieces of writing ever written, and I do want to get a tattoo of one of them. <laughs> I'm so like dramatic. Okay. This is the one that I was saying, like, these are all fun, except this one. This one's not fun. Um, it's a good book though. Oh, my rating for such a fun age was four out of five, and my rating for red, white, and royal blue was also a four out of five. Okay. Uh, this next one is A Thousand Splendid Sons. I had to put it in here. I was gonna put it in, like, the school readings that became a personality trait, but I don't know that this is a personality trait of mine. It's just a good book. And, you know, should be read. (laughs) Anyway. Um, let's see. It's a breathtaking story. It is a tale of two generations of characters brought jarringly together by the tragic sweep of war where personal lives, the struggle to survive, raise a family, find happiness, are inextricable... (laughs) I can't read, I'm sorry. Inextricable from the history playing out around them. Propelled by the same storytelling instinct that made The Kite Runner, a beloved classic, A Thousand Splendid Sons, is at once remarkable... A remarkable chronicle... (laughs) Whatever, I'm not reading this anymore. The point is, this book is really good. It follows two girls like i said it's like a uh, two generations i guess of um people that are like kind of victims of war and exactly what's going on at the time the description says um that the story is set against the volatile events of afghanistan's last 30 years of of the vol set against the volatile events of Afghanistan's last 30 years from the Soviet invasion to the reign of the Taliban to post-Taliban rebuilding. Um, and it puts, it talks about violence and fear and all that stuff. Basically, it does do that. (laughs) It is set against a backdrop. And I think war stories are really hard to read because, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, because I've never obviously been in the middle of a war like this and like not lived in the united states i mean i have lived outside of the united states but not in the middle of a war you know and that it's it's really hard to read that this is the lived reality of other people but it's also a very important thing to read i guess i should have put this in my teacher more than all of high school because yeah i should have put it in there now that i'm thinking about it now that i'm explaining the book but you'll definitely learn a lot if you don't already know a lot about, like, what was going on in Afghanistan at the time. And even, like I said, it's the last 30 years. Like, it's it's pretty current because it's not, it's not like um, Pachinko that was, like, the early 1900s. So you'll learn about some, a little bit about contemporary issues, but also what was happening up to 30 years ago in Afghanistan. Um, and the Taliban, there's some discussion of that, and yeah, so definitely very educational, but also really heart-wrenching. There's a scene, and I'm not going to say anything that happens, but there's a bombing that happens, and a character dies, and I still vividly, the last time I read this was like, I would say like a year ago, I read it again in the beginning of quarantine, 
But the first time I read it, I was like 15 or 16. It was for school. I think I mentioned that. Um, and it was, I just had never heard of any of this stuff happening because the education system sucks and I don't have, <laughs> um, uh, what is even, I, in high school and even in middle school, I didn't have the agency to be like, oh, I, I want to learn about these things. Um, which stinks. <laughs> I wish I did because I had a lot of time to learn about things and just get some background on I don't know, history and stuff. I don't know. I love when people are interested in history because I feel like as a middle schooler and as a high schooler, I just didn't have that instinct to want to learn more about the past. So basically I'm saying I'm jealous of people that have that instinct. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to move on. I gave that book a five out of five. Very obvious um, that I love that book and it means a lot to me. Moving on. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. This is another, like, fun, fun book to read. Oh my gosh, what did I do? What was I doing? It was a belt, sorry. <laughs> Me, I'm, like, literally in a closet. I just hope people know that that's not, like, a joke. Like, I literally am sitting in a, in a closet. Okay. Um, I don't think I need to read the description for this one either, so I'm just gonna ramble on. This is gonna be a long episode, I know it. Okay. Um, basically, this is about a woman who was an actress, she's Cuban-American, and she has a ton of husbands, but there's, like, secrets about her. That's all I'm gonna say. I think I give it a four or three out of five. Um, I'm gonna move fast. The House of the Spirits. This is another Latin American book. This is a, this is a book that I just, I feel obligated to read certain books from Latin America because I am Latin American. Um, and then I'm like, oh, like, this is so sad that, like, you know, I'm so out of touch, and but I just feel obligated, right? And then I read these books, and I'm like, I'm so stupid. Why did I feel obligated to read that book? I should have wanted to read that book, you know? This is another generational tale. It's kind of spooky, which is nice. And I actually, speaking of Regina, I gave her this book for her birthday, but I had never, like, finished reading the book. <laughs> but I just knew, like, I felt like it was something she would like because it's a little spooky, but there's some romance. It's steamy. It's generational. And she read it, and she mailed it back to me for my birthday, and I finished it. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, next one, Her Name in the Sky. This is a really sweet story. It's about two girls who are best friends who kind of realize they might have feelings for each other, but they're seniors in high school, and it's, like, very complicated because they're going to different colleges. And it's just a really sweet book. The House of the Spirits, I give it a 4 or 5. No, a 5 out of 5. Her Name in the Sky, I give it a 4 out of 5. I don't know why I gave it a 4, because in my head it's a 5. So, I don't know. Anyway, this next category, I don't know if you noticed, but Read It or Else was 6 books. This next category is only 3. <laughs> and basically the name of it is Um with a ton of M's. I don't... I think it's because these books might be a little weird, and people might think they're a little weird. But these are some of my favorite books so first up is my year of rest and relaxation i just read this book very recently and it's already one of my favorite books i haven't put it in my favorites thing on goodreads but i also haven't updated goodreads in a really long time like i don't think i put a single book that i've read in march in goodreads and it says i've read like 23 books and i think i've read like 32 at this point so there we go <laughs> anyway it's it's hilarious that last year i read 30 books and it's almost embarrassing, you know, I was talking to my friend Caroline about this as well, but it's also almost embarrassing because, I don't know, I've been slacking a lot with school, and I'm like, huh, I wonder why, but then also, like, I spent all my time reading, so, anyway, and it's not even, like, yeah, I'm reading, like, I don't know, let me think of an author, like, a fancy author that I hate when people say that, <laughs> I don't know, it's not like I'm reading, like, sophisticated poetry or like proust or something like i'm literally reading <laughs> i'm not gonna share what i'm reading but some of them i'm like i'm embarrassed i'm not gonna tell people i read this book <laughs> anyway um yeah this book is weird it's just about a lady that wants to sleep for a year because her parents died and she's like really depressed <laughs> that's literally what it's about five out of five very good book misery misery by stephen king this is the book that everyone always tells you to read by Stephen King, and there's a reason. Basically, it's about a, a writer who resembles a lot Stephen King himself. His name is Paul Sheldon. Is that his name? Yeah, I'm pretty sure his name is Paul Sheldon. 
he writes books. He doesn't really like the books he writes, but they're really famous. And his biggest fan, Annie, um, captures him when he gets into, like, kind of a car wreck because he was drinking and driving, which we definitely do not condone. And she, like, kidnaps him and holds him in a room in her house. And he ends up writing a book and, like, literally just for her because she wants... Like, because basically the books he wrote, he wrote, like, he finished them. They were, like, a series, and the ending was, like, really disappointing. And Annie's like, write me another book. (laughs) And, like, she wants the story to continue and, like, basically appeal to her. And it's insane. The book is insane. Uh, Next one, H.P. Lovecraft's Great Tales of Horror. This, I'm literally not even going to explain. You should know what I mean. What I will say is I do not condone... Lovecraft as a human being, but this book is really good. <laughs> it's just like an anthology, you know what I mean? It's not an, an anthology per se, but it's a collection of um, stories that I like. Okay, this category only has one book in it, and I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> the category name is Will Change Your Life, and the book is Slouching Towards Bethlehem <laughs> by Joan Didion. Uh, I let one of my friends borrow this book. And I hope she keeps it, like, because I want to buy a different copy of it, so I'm like, I hope she keeps it. But anyway, uh, I think it was Katie, if you're listening. (laughs) Anyway, this is a really great book. I love it so much. I don't know how to explain. I think when I let my friend borrow it, I wasn't even finished with it, but I was reading it. Ugh, this is embarrassing. I'm not usually a digital reader, reader, but I was reading it on my phone. Um, and the reason I was reading it on my phone was because I was traveling a lot because of the pandemic. I think that's why. I don't actually remember, but I was reading it on my phone. Maybe it was because I could, like, read it in class or something. I don't know. And I could, like, read it on my computer or whatever. But either way, I don't read books digitally. They give me headaches. But I was reading that one digitally, and it did change my life. So the fact that I could get through it as a something on my phone is a big deal. Anyway. Um, this next category is either something I've recently read, what I'm currently reading, or what I want to read, or I'm being forced to read for class. Okay. Norman Mailer was impressed by this, or something like that. I was like, Jesus Christ. This man. Anyway. (laughs) In class, I was like, yeah, it made me feel like I was in, on an inside joke when he would say stuff like that. But, like, nobody, I I think people think I'm stupid in that class, so they were like, oh, okay. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, next one. Conversations with Friends. I actually stopped reading that book so that I could do this podcast because I know that I need to send it in soon and that the deadline is literally tonight so that it can get edited on time because my last podcasts have been edited really late because I turned it in Friday night instead of Friday afternoon. So anyway, yeah, I stopped reading that book uh, to record this, which is really hard to do because... I'm enjoying this book so much. I think it's going to be a 5 out of 5. If these last, like, 40 pages really disappoint me, then it it might not be a 5 out of 5. But as of right now, I'm having a lot of fun reading this book. And it's, like, making my mind think a lot. Next, The Midnight Library. This book is so good. Like, this book is so, so, so good so unique i've never heard of concept like this even though my brother said like it's not that unique of a concept and i was like oh have other stories like this been done but i didn't even research if they have i just feel like this is really unique and i love it so much so far and i'm having a lot of fun but i'm like halfway through this one so i'm not like almost done or anything i think i'm like 60 percent of the way according to goodreads um number four american pastoral by joseph roth or something like that is that his name I feel like I made that up. Hold on. I know his last name is Roth, but I don't know if it's Joseph. I definitely made that up. Hold on. (laughs) I'm, like, literally researching this on Goodreads right now. But it's so hard to do that. This, like, app is not user-friendly. Do you know what I'm saying? I heard there's a new, like, kind of Goodreads (laughs) dupe. (laughs) Me pretending this is makeup. But I heard there's, like, a new website. It's not an app yet. But it's, like, a website that is kind of, like, Goodreads, but it's better. And it has, like, a prettier layout, which I would really appreciate if so. Okay, okay, okay. It's Philip Roth, not Joseph Roth. 
Anyway, American Pastoral by Philip Roth. I have to read this book. Apparently, it's like multiple books. But I have to read the first one for class. So, yeah, I've been reading that one. And by I've been reading it, I mean I opened it. <laughs> but I'm not really, like, done with it or anything. I don't actually really know exactly what it's about just yet. But, yeah. Anyway... And then number five, The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I don't know if you can tell that I have an extreme admiration for Joan Didion. I haven't read a lot of her books. I've read, obviously because of Slouching Towards Bethlehem, I've read a lot of her essays, even outside of Slouching Towards Bethlehem. But, I don't know, I, w- I want to read more of her, like, fiction and, like, novels. But I, I've heard some of them are, like, really good and some of them are, like, eh. You know, so, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, that's it. Those are all the books that I have. Um, I don't really have anything else to say, I don't think, except Joan Didion's Supremacy. I do love that woman. And I'm starting to love her more. Also, you may have noticed, Nolia, why didn't you put any Toni Morrison in there? I thought that was your favorite author. I think I'm doing a whole episode about Toni Morrison books um, later on. But I just, I didn't want to include Toni Morrison in this list because I literally, like, first of all, I have, like, three brain cells. I'm not capable of talking about it. And then also because I do want to dedicate a whole episode to that. So, anyway, that's it for this episode. Um, read those books and talk to me about it. And, like, text or DM me. Okay, bye!